Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Before we dive in, I want to thank our fans and listeners, especially those who took the time to write us a review. This one comes from Dual Dang Thing, titled, Wow, oh my goodness, pulled at my heartstrings for sure. It's comforting to know we're not alone. Somehow it was helpful hearing other people's stories. Well, Dula Dang Thing, I agree because in the end, we all become stories and I love telling stories. So thank you so much for your five-star rating and review. We really appreciate you. Lori Marini is a pathologist assistant. That means she is a tumor expert. She's also a master life and wellness coach and breast cancer warrior. Lori supports others in getting beyond their fear and following the signs to their destiny. Lori, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. (laughs) I have so many questions. Um, but let's start with your specific cancer journey. Can you take us back to the beginning? So, yeah, thank you for asking. My journey started, you know, as I was a healthcare professional for over 20 years, I'm a pathologist assistant, which means that I am part of the diagnostic team that sets people up for what kind of treatment they're going to get. Um, you know, I missed my screening my mammogram when I was 40. So I found myself going to my primary care physician, just shy of being 41 saying, I doc, I'm really sorry. I know I didn't go, but I'm going to go this year. And she said to me, you know, Lori, they just changed the guidelines to 45. So you just bought yourself another four years. Don't worry about it. And I went home and I was kind of like, well, I kind of don't feel right about that. My entire life is based on cancer. So why am I not going to get screened? I let it go. I was busy with life, busy with a new job. And I woke up to a dream. I woke up to a dream where I was riddled with cancer. So the first thing I did was go and get myself a mammogram. And in hindsight, I don't know why the mammogram was what I chose to go and look for first. But what ended up happening was on my baseline mammogram, they found four masses of pretty good size in my left breast. And I have no family history. I didn't feel anything. My primary care physician, when she gave me an exam, didn't feel anything. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? (laughs) So it was really life altering. I was like, you got to be kidding, right? Like they scheduled me for a repeat mammogram. I didn't think about it because I knew I had dense breasts. I knew it's standard of care. If they see anything at all, they're gonna put you in for a rescreen. I didn't think anything about it until they set me up for an ultrasound because that's also standard. Now you gotta remember, I worked with these images every day. So I was like, oh, it's no big deal. It wasn't until I was at my repeat screen, they did 3D imaging with a contrast, still didn't think anything of it, I then went in for an ultrasound. I was on image number 65 and they were measuring my lymph nodes that I was like, "Uh uh-oh, 
Wow. We have something. And nobody gave me any indication that there was something going on. There, nobody said anything. So by the time the doc came in, the radiologist came in and was like, hey, we're going to set you up for a biopsy. I was like, tell me what is going on. What do you mean? Like, I needed to hear the words that I already knew were about to come my way. Um, and it was really like, I was, I have to admit, I was a terrible patient. I was like angry. I'm like, what do you mean? What is going on? And um, she really took it in a way where she responded back to me. It was like, well, you have a mass. I never actually heard the words, you have cancer. Nobody ever said it to me, but I already knew because I had gone through these imaging. I was doing this for other people. And I was like, this is a little bit crazy that I am now on the other side of the table. Had you seen your own images? Yeah, I did because, well, not my mammograms. I didn't see my mammograms, but I saw the ultrasounds of my lymph nodes and I knew what it meant for them to measure lymph nodes. So part of what happens is when your lymph nodes get inflamed, they develop a capsule around them and you want to measure the thickness of your capsule to see, is it just reactionary because, you know, you might have been sick or is it reactionary because there's some involvement in there. And I, so as the lymph nodes are measured, they will also measure any area in which they're hypoechoic. So meaning that there's a change in the color that they have. And that measurement is what's going to support whether or not they need to get biopsied. And so I was literally looking at them doing this for probably about an hour and a half. Like it took some time and there's that big blue light ahead. You know how they make those colorful lights that you are above like beds. I never really understood them until I was sitting there because they're a really good distraction. And in that moment, I'm like, okay, if I make it out of here, I'm going to move. I'm going to change my profession because it's too high stress for me. I'm going to go and live by the beach. I want palm trees in my life. And literally I was like making my will of who my money would go to. Like I literally saw my life flash before and my And this eyes. is before your biopsy. Is this all yeah, before this the biopsy? Yeah, this is all before my biopsy. Oh my God. And I know I'm saying it with a smile on my face because it's kind of like, I know I went the extreme and that's where the smile comes in. But I knew the path that I was about to undertake, what right. this journey was gonna mean. And every time people came to me and asked me for, hey, Lori, like this is what I'm dealing with. I, would, I was able to decide how much do I tell them? How much can they handle? And when I'm in a fight or flight, I turn to humor. And that's why I still laugh when I say this because I didn't have the luxury of filtering for myself. Right. I knew yeah. where I was going and I knew the best outcome and I knew the worst outcome because it's what I saw every day. Were you being seen by your fellow healthcare professionals like within the same system? Did you know them? Yeah. So the universe set me up that my boss was actually a world renowned breast oncologist. So my first phone call was, we have a problem. Lori, it may not be anything. No, I saw my own biopsies. Again, I work with tissue all day long. I'm like, I saw it. I, I have a problem. And he was like, okay. So I was very fortunate that my journey resulted in my boss, who is a physician, 
rallied the team around me. I was in surgery for a double mastectomy within two weeks. What? Yeah. Wow. So I didn't really have, I didn't have time to think about what was happening. I just had rapid fire questioning of like, do you want children? Do you want us to save your eggs? What kind of procedure do you want? Do you want implants? Do you not want implants? Like, I was like, what are, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Even though I knew the path, it was right. still very traumatizing. Why did you opt for the double mastectomy if the masses were in just one breast? Yeah, that's a great question. So they were like, Lori, you know, my own surgeons, my own oncologists, my own boss was saying, Lori, we think you're going too aggressive when I'm like, I want a double mastectomy. Like, I want a bilateral mastectomy. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And they're like, Lori, you may not need that. I'm like, look, I always told myself if I would ever be in this situation because of what I've observed with patients, having to go through multiple resections, multiple surgeries, because there's positive margins. They didn't account for what is known as DCIS, which is a um, precursor state that you have in your breast that shows up as calcifications. Um, um, and most likely, those are the areas that will cross over, which for me, they turned. They turned malignant, but it's a benign state. And I, so I was like, look, if I have DCIS right now, I'm not going to want to come back and have another surgery. Um, it just so happened that my biopsies did show that I had invasive tumor with DCIS. So the standard of care is that patients can elect not to have that. They can elect to have their other breast monitored. But for me, for my own mental health, I knew that that's how I needed to go. So when the biopsies came back that that's what it showed, you know, my care team didn't fight me anymore on it. <laughs> So you have the double mastectomy. Did you opt for reconstruction? And what was the rest of your treatment plan? So I had a bilateral mastectomy with lymph node removal. I had probably about over 12 lymph nodes from each side taken out for them to assess it. And it's kind of a lot, but what they do is they inject a dye that shows the pathway of what lymph nodes could be affected. Um, and then I had to have this conversation really quick about, am I doing implants? Am I not doing implants? I knew the dangers of implants of potentially getting lymphoma, especially with a certain type of implant. Um, but at the time I was 40 years old, I was in the best shape of my life. I loved wearing flirty clothes. I loved how I felt about myself. I didn't know how I was going to feel. I didn't know what it was going to be like for me. So I had a long conversation with myself and with my significant other. And I'm like, if I go through this, this means more surgery. This means more doctor's appointments. This means a potential for me to like have further complications. But this also means about how I'm going to feel about myself. And at the time I chose to go for it because I didn't want to regret five years from now being like, I wish I would have done it. I'm like, I could always have them removed, but getting them re-implanted, knowing how the body heals itself, I didn't want to have to go through that. So I, I elected to go for it. So did you get implants right then or did you need tissue expanders? I needed tissue expanders because they took all of my breast tissue out from my skin to just to my pectoralis muscles. So there's, there wasn't enough room 
for that for the amount of tissue that they took out for them to go ahead and reimplant them right away. So I needed expanders, and I have to tell you that that was probably the most difficult process for me. It was very painful, um, and it was very long. It was a three-month period, which they don't tell you, right? So any of you, if you find yourself in this position, please call me. I will tell you everything <laughs> you need to know. I will explain everything, what it means, because I don't know how other people went through it, not knowing the medical terminology, not knowing what the process is. They sometimes talk above your head. And um, that's one thing I tell my clients, like, let them dumb it down for you. If you don't understand it, keep asking questions until you really get it and don't back down from it. Yeah. I've heard that from many women who had tissue expanders that, and three months is, I think, on the lower end from some of the women I've spoken with. And they've said it was by far the most painful part. It, physically painful, maybe not emotionally painful. So you have the tissue expanders in. Did, well, one, was there any cancer in your lymph nodes? And two, did you need other types of treatment? So at the time, there was no cancer in my lymph nodes. So my treatment, because I was so aggressive with the bilateral mastectomy, um, no sentinel lymph node involvement, um, resulted in me getting on tamoxifen. So part of what they do is they look at the grade and the stage of your cancer, and then they do this testing called Oncotype. So my grade was a, I was a stage two grade one, which means grade one means my cells were very happy. They weren't aggressive, right? So, and then my Oncotype came back as a four. So at the time they said, you know, we don't need to do anything more. Let's put you on tamoxifen um, and we'll just keep monitoring you. And so that's what happened at that time. And are you still on tamoxifen? Unfortunately, I am not on tamoxifen, literally just shy of my five year mark, which is the mark everybody wants to get to because your chances of recurrence drastically decrease. Um, I was going for routine blood exams where my, they were following my CA2729, which is a breast specific, very controversial marker. Um, cause some people believe that it doesn't, it's not true as to whether or not it's elevated or not elevated. It doesn't correlate. So some places do it. Some places have a, a substitute where I was being seen, they did it. And my CA2729 kept increasing and then it increased above the threshold. And then I ended up getting my vaccine and then it like tripled (laughs) my COVID vaccine and then it tripled. So we kept just following me, kept getting my, um, rescreened. And unfortunately, um, because it was so high, or I should say, let me rephrase that. I should say, fortunately, because it was elevated, I was then qualifying, I was qualified to get a, um, a PET scan. And so my PET scan did show involvement. I have bone involvement. So now I'm considered metastatic, even though I went through very drastic measures as people would tell me. Um, So now I'm back on chemotherapy. I am also undergoing ovarian suppression. So what they do for those of you who may not know, instead of getting my ovaries taken out, which means that I need to get off of my treatment, they are injecting me with a whole bunch of chemicals to turn off my estrogen completely because my, es- my cancer cells love estrogen. 
you were estrogen positive? I was, yeah. And I so, still am. Tell me about how did you feel when you found out there was bone involvement? Oh, I was like, how? How is this possible? It has to be something else. This is insane. I did all the things I needed to do. I did all the right things. I've, I stopped eating meat. I no longer use dairy. I exercise all the time. I take the right supplements. I do all the things. And how am I here? So I had a lot of anger around it. I had a lot of disbelief around it. Um, I Did ended you up getting symptoms at all. No, not at all. I feel amazing, and I still do. I feel absolutely amazing, um, and that it. I attribute that to having a healthy lifestyle, right? I attribute that to the supplements that I take. I attribute that to the exercise, to my mindset, all of that. Um, that's why I was in complete disbelief because I had finally felt like myself again. You know, going through this process changes you. And I struggled for a long time. I won't lie, I'm pretty open about it. And so I finally like forgot about it. I was finally like, I'm good, let's go live, like really live and where I'm not thinking about it at least once a day. Um, and, and then it was like, nope, here you go. <laughs> um, and so I had a, a, you know, I allowed myself one day to be mournful, one day to really be angry. But I know living there is not going to help me. So I was like, okay, what do we need to do? And so then it got back into what I like to call warrior mode. Like we don't have time to pity. We have no time for pity, which is why I don't really, ironically enough, people in my life, I don't really talk about it. I'm okay in this platform talking about it, but I don't really talk about it with other people. Really? Yeah. They must know though, right? At least close friends and family. Yeah, close friends and family know, but I'm like, I am not about pity. Like, don't pity me. I don't want you to look at me like that. Like, I am alive. I am here. I am fighting it. And there's no room for that because it doesn't serve me. So that's the request I have from everybody in my family and my close one, close loved ones that I'm like, talk to me like I'm normal. You could ask me like, hey, how are you feeling today? And I'll tell you. But don't be like, oh, how are you? Are you okay? Like, I hate it. I can't stand it. I feel it. It, it literally disempowers me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That makes sense. <laughs> no, that makes that makes sense. So, what I want to understand is, I was wondering why you said, uh, "How did you phrase it?" You said something like. Something like um, unfortunately, then. you said, oh, yeah. unfortunately, you're about to get off the tamoxifen or whatever. And yeah. I'm thinking, God, no, no one in the history of the world has ever said that. Yeah. Now it makes sense. So you mentioned that because it's metastatic, you then had to do chemotherapy. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a little more about that? So fortunately, chemotherapy has come a long way. So, I, you know, for those of you who might be going through this, it's not everything you see um in mainstream media that's why a lot of us are really upset with pinktober and how things are perceived or shown um a lot of people do have you know um have to undergo some really traumatizing chemotherapy 
But now with advance in medicine, um, there is a branch of drugs that are called immunotherapy. And ironically enough, when I was working at the Cancer Institute where I had first got diagnosed, my job was to do a clinical trial. I was part of the team where we would take patient samples and validate the exact drugs that I'm on. So again, I found myself in a situation where I know more than what I want to know about the actual treatment modality I'm on because part of my job was to understand the morbidity, mortality that these drugs have. <laughs> I get, I don't understand it. I'm, I'm waiting for the universe to tell me like, okay, hey, this is why we're, we're bringing you down this path because I really don't know. <laughs> so <sighs> what immunotherapy drugs are you on and what has that been like for you? So I am now on Fulvestrin. Um, I'm on Palvo, well, Fulvestrin, Zolidex for ovarian suppression. And then the immunotherapy that I'm on is called Palbocyclib, otherwise known as Ibrance. Ibrance is the version that I'm on. There are other versions. The Ibrance for me is actually okay. I feel really great on it. The ovarian suppression is what's really throwing my body for a loop. You know, it, you have to think about my body's naturally making estrogen. And here we are, we are, you know, beating my ovaries to be like, stop it chemically. And so they are ultimately putting me in menopause. Um, Absolutely. And because of it's not a natural menopause, it's like a, hey, there's estrogen. And then, hey, no, there isn't. My body has gone into shock. And a lot of people's, you know, everybody who's going through this, they're putting your body into shock from 1000% stopping your estrogen production, as opposed to a drug like tamoxifen that blocks the receptors. So you're still making the estrogen. Um, and I'm, you know, in hindsight, I'm not surprised because my estrogen produ production was very high. Like when I did a Dutch test, it came back through the roof. Um, and I knew this. So tamoxifen was not some, was not enough for me at the time. I feel you, not that I've had cancer, but I had a radical hysterectomy. So, so I woke up in menopause. Yeah. And it's not <laughs> so much. it's it's been such a delight, you know. Right? It's it, it's definitely gotten better. Um, but yeah, it's just it's so delightful. They didn't do surgery because it was metastatic. There was a concern, correct? Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. So there's no other breast tissue that they can remove. They can't right. go and take, they can't go and take my spine out, right? So that's not an option. My lymph nodes are some of them were involved. That's how I got my biopsy, and um, my surgeon was like, "Well, we could go and take your lymph nodes out." <laughs> and again, being the bad patient, I'm like, "Why are like?" I, I'm so sorry if she hears me. I apologized after. But in the moment, I was like, why are you going to take my lymph nodes out when this is a systemic disease? It's not local. Right. And you took right. an oath to do no harm. So you're going to put me in and give me even more lymphedema than what I have right now. So lymphedema is the accumulation where they actually disrupt your lymphatic changes. It's like a closed circuit. And so when they go in and remove any lymph nodes, they, they break that closed circuit. And so you get pullage, you get pulling of lymph fluid, and then your body eventually reabsorbs it. 
but it's no longer as pristine as how it was before. So I, I got a little upset where I'm like, why are you going to do surgery on me when I already have lymphedema? And you know that there's tumor elsewhere, not even just in my lymph nodes. Like this doesn't make sense. So I left her, I guess, feeling a certain kind of way because then she went across the hall and talked to my oncologist and was like, who is this lady? <laughs> So, oh no, she did not. She did. And um, my oncologist then was like, hey, look, this is her background, right? You can't blame her for challenging you. Um, right. Yeah. So I had a good laugh about it and I apologized a lot to my oncologist, but I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry about it. You shouldn't be sorry. No, oh my gosh. I'm no, not. No, absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> I want to ask, why did you go into pathology? What was it? And I'm just so curious because I, I know for me, well, one, I'm just like, I was a very good student, very bad at science. And the only way I survived high school biology was I had a partner who loved the dissection. Yeah. Loved it. My back was turned the whole time and she just told me everything she was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so she did all the dissection and I did all the writing and reports. <laughs> and so why pathology? You know, I'm going to be really honest. I fell into it. So I had graduated with a um, degree in biology, a minor in chemistry and math. I thought I was going to med school. And then I thought long and hard about it where I'm like, I don't want that lifestyle. I don't want to mm. have medicine be my career. I want a family. I want kids. I want to enjoy life. And I knew that the dedication was going to have to be to being a physician first. So I was like, you know what? That's yeah. not for me. That's not what I want. Um, and I ended up finding a, a lab, a cytogenetics lab, where they do chromosome analysis for any um, genetic diseases. So I started there and it just so happened, I was working part-time, they're still in college, um, and it just so happened that pathology, histology was across the way. So histology are the folks that make slides for the pathologist to read based on the tissue that's received. Um, so I went in there for the full-time job, not really knowing what that was. And I got trained to do, <laughs> I got trained to do biopsies. So I was doing colon biopsies, prostate biopsies, breast biopsies. And I had my degree at that time. And I somehow, don't know why, in hindsight, said, I'm so tired of these ditzels. Like, I wish I had like a leg or something. And as a, which is weird because I don't even know what that was about, right? I didn't, I never had done it before. I had, um, I never had, I had human anatomy, but I never had a cadaver dissection. Um, but the a person walked past me. It was like, what did you just say? And I was like, I thought I was going to get in trouble, honestly. <laughs> and she's like, and she said to me, she's like, you have your, bachelor's degree, right? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, I got a really great program for you. And that's how I found out about the pathologist assistant program. Um, it just so happened that one of the best schools in the country was in my backyard in Connecticut. And wow. I was like, okay, let me go and check it out. So I got an interview for that. And within a month, I was in the program. And so as a pathology assistant, um, PA, we do forensics, we do autopsy, we do anything taken out like surgical pathology, we do research, we do genomics, precision medicine, like we are the uh, 
people don't really know that we are the ones that facilitate all the research that happens in an academic institution. We're the ones that will select tissue to go for research. Um, so I fell into it and then I fell in love with it. But my parents were like, what are you doing? Because like, <laughs> I was like really opposed to any bodily fluids. You know, I can't be around anybody that throws up. I can't be around anybody that has any bodily fluids going anywhere. Like I can't handle it. And that's why I'm like, I can't be a nurse that grosses me out. But <laughs> in the lab and at autopsy, there's just something that happens where my brain just switches over. And I'm so curious about the discovery of what we're going to find um, that I was really in awe of the human body. And so it was like game on for me. I, I loved it. And the word is love. Remind me, I have a podcast for you. <laughs> well, the word uh, is- A great podcast. Yeah. The word is loved though, because going through- this journey. That's what I was going to ask you next. I was having seen the other side of the table. It was really hard for me to be so fascinated by what was happening to the human body, knowing that my body now is trying to kill me. Um, mm. So I had, that was one of the things that I knew I needed to change um, because I found myself crying on the elevator in between patients. I just really had a hard time that I knew that being on the front lines, being in the gross pathology room was no longer going to serve me in my healing journey. So like a true Lori fashion, I pivoted and I took my education and I created a job for myself in the biotech industry where I could use my knowledge of cancer, but I don't need to be in the front lines with patients. Wow. And did you move yeah. to someplace with palm trees? I did. So <laughs> it was a quick stop in Nashville. I spent two years in Nashville because my the love of my life was there for work. Um, and the universe, again, had a different plan where we got, um, we lost our home in the March 2020 Nashville tornado. And I looked oh, at it. We could not, sorry. we couldn't find another place to live, right? Like imagine, <laughs> it's just something, life is something. Um, so we couldn't find another place to live. And I looked at him and I'm like, well, you know what? We always said we wanted palm trees. So as COVID is starting, we are literally moving again. I think I've moved maybe 10 times within two years. Um, we're moving again. We're loading up a U-Haul and we moved to Sarasota, Florida. Are you still there? We've never been there. We're in Tampa now. We're about to move to um, a small town called Dunedin, which is a small beach town. So we'll have the beach and we'll have some palm trees. And, um, you know, this journey really has taught me, don't stop, don't settle, keep going. Even if it's hard, keep moving forward. So do you like Florida? Surprisingly, I absolutely adore it. I didn't know what I was getting <laughs> into. I was like, you know, you hear so many bad stories of Florida and I'm like, you know what? I love it. If it's not your thing, then it's okay. But for, for us, we adore it. The people are kind. There is a Southern hospitality here. The weather is great. I could handle the heat. Um, I love the palm trees. I love the beach. And we're just really happy. Yeah. I think you mentioned it, but I just want to clarify. What was your worst moment in all of it? 
I have two. Okay. My first worst moment was making myself wrong for not doing enough. Right? Like I couldn't help what happened to me. But I'm like, I shouldn't I should know better. I thought I was doing all the things. Like I went back. So they say that your cancer is gonna show up seven to ten years after a traumatic life event like emotional life event. So when I dated back to seven to 10 years, I could see the moments where I didn't honor myself and had some emotional trauma happen. Um, And I made myself wrong for that, that maybe I should have handled stuff differently. Maybe I shouldn't have lived in that too long. Maybe I should have switched that job, right? Like I, again, I handle things with humor. So you know, I had four masses, I dated four traumatic events. And so I named them, right? Like, (laughs) from least to worst, and they each got it from their own size. But um, that was something that was really hard for me to like, comprehend that I felt I had caused this for myself. And then the second time is when it came back, thinking I've done all the things. I was like, how can I still be here? Like, I was so angry. I was so angry, but I know I can't live there. And so I recognized myself then for all the things that I have done right. Like my nutrition is so on point. Um, And if anybody needs some support around it, especially when you don't feel like eating because of what you're going through, reach out, I have a solution. Um, that I personally use myself, that is a game changer. Um, but that was the other, the second point where I'm like, how am I here again? But it's yeah. a different, it's a different journey this time. I'm definitely more at peace. I will say one thing about anger that I feel like a lot of people don't realize. If you are angry, you're not in denial. Yeah. If you're angry, you're yeah. in it. And so I think there is a place yeah. for anger and any traumatic Agreed. life event because because it means you are actually dealing with the reality of the yeah, situation that's... and it's okay to be yeah, mad. Yeah, that's right. How about your best moment? Oh, you know, this journey for me has saved my life. It has allowed me, it has given me the permission. It has hit me over the head to put myself first. And to live life according to the way that I wanted to live life. So I, I put Ooh. wheels in motion of, I don't want to be in New England anymore. I want the palm trees. I want to, I'll go visit New England. I'll go visit the snow, but I don't want to live there. Um, and so that mindset then led me to where I am now in Florida, Tampa, Florida. And as a result, my family followed. Whereas I used to stand in, I can't leave my family. They followed you. Yep. My entire family's here now. Wow. With the exception of one. Yeah. That's amazing. And so my parents sold. I know. Things that have historically never moved are now moving. So my parents left their house after 40 plus years. We helped them move. We have them. They're here now. They're, they're literally 20 minutes away from me. Um, and like if I stayed in Nashville or if I stayed in Boston, they would have still been in Connecticut. There was no reason for them to come. Um, so that is one benefit of, of what I've gone through. 
The other is I have no tolerance. And it's a good thing, right? I I um I have no tolerance for nonsense, right? And I'm very clear about that with people where I'm like I the best way I could say is the people that no longer serve my life, I don't feel guilty for not reaching out. Good for you. Good for yeah, you. Yeah, and I don't make myself wrong about it. So if if we're there, I will I will love them but I don't feel like I need to continue to foster it when it doesn't serve me. Oh, that's amazing. And that's a lesson everyone could learn, but I think especially women. Yes, definitely. And you know, I, I make a joke about it now that I needed the hit over the head like cancer for me to finally get there because I wasn't hearing the message. I wasn't getting it. <laughs> I love th these next two questions. I'm so excited to ask you. You knew the landscape, the knowledge, the terminology. Mm -hmm. But is there one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning? Like I said, I hate pity. So I kept this really close. I kept it really close to the point that a handful of people knew. And I, I had to really avoid people kind of be like, Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Even though I wasn't. So if I could change anything, I would probably allow more people to support me and let more people in. And the people who were in it for the morbid curiosity, you know, for the gossip, for the, and the people who didn't know what to say to me and said really bad things, which is the reason why I didn't tell people because I didn't know what was going to come at me when I was struggling dealing with my emotions and I couldn't deal with anybody else's. Um, I don't make myself wrong for that, but in hindsight, I probably would have found a different way on how to handle it. So I could have more people support me. I could have people shower me with the love that I needed at the time. If you can mm -hmm. only change one thing, and this, this time you only get one, about healthcare okay. in the US, what would it be and why? Hmm. So many thoughts are coming. To I mind. know. I didn't get what. <laughs> I think I would want it to go back to doctors having the time to be able to sit with you to answer your questions because the way that it is now, and it's not physicians fault, is they, they have to be behind a computer in order to serve you, but we've lost part of the connection, the human connection. I totally agree. So I wish we could revert back to pre-computer era care, even though there's benefit, right? There's benefit to having all the knowledge, all the technology, like a unison of all your medical records being pulled, like that empowers them so much. But the complication, the compli how complicated it is, doesn't serve the physician, which means that it doesn't serve the patient. All right, are you ready for the Thriver yes. rapid fire? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I know the answer to the first one, but never soon. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach and desert. 
Oh, no, Beach and Mountains, but Beach first. <laughs> beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Ooh, Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Unstoppable. Oh, God, great word. Before mm. you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Oh, it's a wonderful world. The last meal you want to eat? I want to have pizza, eggplant parm, and an ice cream sundae. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. Right after my own heart. Really, you are. Um, what about the last person or people you want to see? Oh, my family. And the last words you will speak? That I love them. And aside from Cancer U, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And please tell people how they can get in touch with you. I would find support. So whether that's a support group, whether that's a coach like myself, whether that's loved ones, um, friends, friends that you don't even know you need right now, um, you know, find the support. It's out there. You just have to be a demand for it. And where people can find me is on my website. It's just my name, plain and simple, lorimarini.com. So the services that I provide, if, if for those of in need, is if you don't understand your pathology report, come to me. I will break it down for you so you understand it. I will also let you, you know, support support you in finding your healthcare team. What does that look like? What do you need? What's going to serve you? Um, and then I also do, you know, private coaching, group coaching, and finding the joy through all of this. Like I just started a new program that's really inexpensive where we get together and we talk about like, look, life has given you lemons. Let's make some lemonades out of it. And all your social media and everything's right there too on your website? Everything is on there. Yeah, definitely. I'm on Instagram, Lori Marini LGS. I'm on Facebook as well for the same. I am Lori Marini Life Warrior Coach. And um, you know what? We have one shot at doing this. We have one shot of really supporting ourselves. So be unstoppable. Don't take no for an answer. Keep moving forward and you owe it to yourself. We want you around another day, so let's make it great. Lori, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your really, truly remarkable story. Thank you for having me because it's an honor for me to be able to be here with everybody. You know, you make my life just much more meaningful by being able to share my experiences. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button. 
or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.